0: This is the Under the Sun Podcast, your home for news, analysis, and interviews from around Sunbelt men's and women's basketball.
1: Now, here's your host, Jake Griffith. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Jake Griffith. You're locked into the Under the Sun Podcast, where we cover everything under the sun as it relates to Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. Podcasting on the road this week. It is Thursday, February 23rd. I'm in Hampton, Virginia at the site of the Colonial Swim and Dive Championships, but still time to talk about some SBC men's and women's basketball. We're five days away from the start of the conference tournament, and with it being the final week of the regular season, the normal Thursday-Saturday slate has shifted to a Wednesday-Friday, which means the week is already underway, and it started off with a bang last night on the men's side, which is where we'll start. Marshall, Going to Harrisonburg and handing James Madison a loss. The Dukes dropped to 20 and 10, 11 and 6. They can now finish no worse than fourth in the conference standings. Meanwhile, Marshall 13 and 4, they vaulted back atop the standings, tied with Southern Miss with identical 13 and 4 conference marks. The Thundering Herd have won five straight games. Kudos to what Dan Dantoni has done with this team. 24 and 6. He's the first coach not named Cam Henderson in Marshall history to win 24 or more games. Here's what Dan Tony had to say after that win.
0: Real happy with our
1: defense second half, though. I thought you know, we shot, they shot like, I think 30 and what did they shoot? 34 and 37 second half. And, uh, that was a difference and Obina and, and Micah handlocked. And, and although we had to piece that, that position together a little bit, but you know, Jacob and White and, uh, Goran came in and gave us a little bit of little bit of reprieve till we got them back in there. And then, uh, You know, uh, I thought defensively, Obina, especially, but Micah to Kind of cut down a little bit on their scoring. We get a little burst from it. And, uh, of course, Tavion, Andy, and uh, just super good. Yeah, he's not lying about that. Taylor and Kenzie, the only two teammates in the country that each average north of 20 points per game. Taylor averaging 20.1. Kenzie, 22.2 points per game. Arguably, no team is hotter right now in Sunbelt men's basketball than Marshall. South Alabama may have something to say about that, though. They've won five straight games, 9-8, and 16-14 overall. I want to give a tip of the cap to head coach Richie Riley and his coaching staff. Jaguars took down Texas State in their last game, first true away victory against the Bobcats in program history. That means South Alabama now 8-1 and one in their last nine games. An impressive turnaround for the Jaguars, who at one time were in the cellar of the Sunbelt Conference standings. And Richie Riley, after the win, said, tough, gritty win on the road. Our guys showed a ton of toughness and poise to finish off the game tonight. They faced Louisiana inside the Cajun Dome Friday night, 8 p.m., ESPN2 National Television. A chance here for South Alabama to have a league-high six-game winning streak. As we mentioned, though, a tie atop the standings, and let's take a look at those tiebreakers because the Sunbelt League office released those. In the event of a two-team tiebreaker, the highest win-loss percentage of head-to-head competition during the regular season, that's the first marker. But if it's still tied after that, each team's win-loss percentage versus the occupying team in the highest position in the final regular season standings and then continuing down through the standings until one team gains an advantage. Again, these are from the Sunbelt website. After that, if it's still tied, when arriving at another group of teams, tied when comparing records, use each team's record against the collective tied teams as a group. And after that, if it's all still tied, the seed position, And the conference tournament next week in Pensacola would be determined by a toss of the coin by Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill. Now, if all that's a little bit confusing, here's an easier way to figure things out. Marshall needs to beat Old Dominion in the regular season finale and hope that Southern Miss loses at Texas State and the Thundering Herd will outright win the Sunbelt regular season title and go into the tournament as the number one overall seed. Southern Miss... That's not necessarily out of the question. The Golden Eagles have struggled in their last three games, just one and two in their last three games. Losses to South Alabama and Old Dominion, both of those on the road in their last three games. This comes after Jay Ladner's group had rattled off nine straight wins, including beating Louisiana in Hattiesburg to take sole possession of first place. It's been weird, it's been wacky, and it's been wild in Sunbelt men's basketball, which should make for a really, really exciting conference tournament. Elsewhere around Sunbelt men's basketball, Old Dominion's starting to catch fire toward the end of the season. The Monarchs have always been a gritty, tough defensive team taking on sort of the likeness of their head coach, Jeff Jones, but they've now won five of their last six games, only a loss at James Madison, sandwiched in between wins against Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Texas State, App State, and now Southern Miss. It was an emotional game on Thursday night, on Wednesday night, in the win against their former conference USA foes, the Golden Eagles. Journalists in attendance on Twitter described Jeff Jones as being tearful and wiping away tears during his post game press conference, just showing you how much it means.
0: Speechless after the game. I, I, I couldn't really find the words. As I told the guys,
1: I'm wearing proud out. And I'm trying to find another one, but I'm not sure. I'm gonna to have
0: to check the, my the
1: source. Before jumping over to the women's side of the conference, I do wanna look at Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology. Interestingly enough, he has Southern Miss clinching the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. They would get a 13 seed if that would happen. Head to Orlando, Miami, Drake, and Marquette also in that portion of the bracket. So maybe Joey Brackets knows something we don't. All I know is that next week's conference tournament is going to be a sight to behold. Watch it on ESPN+. Plus. You won't want to miss any of the action. As we focus in on the women's side of the Sunbelt Conference standings, no tiebreaker needed at the top. James Madison By virtue of Troy's loss to Southern Miss and their victory last night, they've won five straight games and they clinch the Sunbelt regular season title. We had head coach Sean O'Regan on the podcast earlier this year. Great guy, great conversation. It's hard not to root for JMU in their first year in the league. His team, so committed, so likable. You can tell they love the game. And they're now 23-6. They've won 79% of their games. And they look like the favorites to go win the league. Now, of course, anything can happen in the conference tournament. Behind them, it's a mess. Texas State, Southern Miss, ODU, and Troy all tied at 12-5. and five for that second spot and then after them you find Anita Howard's Georgia Southern Eagles we had coach Howard also on the podcast earlier this season and they're picking up steam at the right time Georgia Southern four straight wins mentioned Old Dominion just a second ago coming off a win at Marshall come from behind effort for the Monarchs 66-63 over their former conference usa foes they'll stay on the road and they'll head to coastal carolina to close out the regular season 5 p.m tip-off in conway on friday night the monarchs they've won seven of their last eight games an overtime loss at home against james madison two games ago but prior to that rattled off six straight victories you want to talk about a team picking up steam when it matters most That is what Delisha Milton-Jones' team has been able to do down the stretch of the season. It's about peaking at the right time, and we are pleased to have the head coach of the Old Dominion Monarchs on the podcast, Delisha Milton-Jones. Delisha Milton-Jones, the head coach of Old Dominion, joins the podcast now. Coach, thanks for joining us here. I know it's the busy point of the year, and so I appreciate you taking the time.
0: No, it's not a problem at all. These things are necessary for us to continue to grow the game and get good
1: information out there. Well, speaking of, you know, growing the game, obviously you yourself, you're you're so important to women's basketball, not just from a coaching standpoint, but, you know, as a player as well, your resume, we were just talking about it, speaks for itself. All-American, SEC player of the year, Hall of Famer, college coach, Olympic gold medalist. If you're if you could, I guess, sum up what your career has been like in just a few words, because it's such an interesting story.
0: Wow. Oh, a few words to sum it up?
1: <laughs> or as many as you need.
0: <laughs> Good gracious. That's that's probably a tall task, but I think the the one word would probably be exciting. It really has been an exciting if you want to consider the player that I was, that was an exciting ride to be on for 17 years. Then if you want to talk about the coach that I am, it has been exciting as well too uh, to see the amount of success that um, I've been able to obtain in my short tenure as a coach. Uh, That's pretty exciting. And I think it's a lot of attention that needs to be um, a lot of attention needs to be given to the players uh, in the program, the coaches that coach alongside me in terms of us being as successful as we are. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for them buying in and being 10 toes in deeply uh, and following my vision to the team, we wouldn't have had the success that we have. So exciting is the word to use for both the coach and the player within my resume.
1: At Florida, you played for four years under Carol Ross. You've been an interim coach uh, for the Los Angeles Stars. You've been at Syracuse, Pepperdine, and now Old Dominion. In terms of your previous stops along your coaching career, how much has that shaped you as a coach and where you're at now at, at ODU?
0: The previous stops definitely helped shape me, uh, but I think that's more so of learning the business side of it. But what truly shaped the coach that I am today are those veteran years that I spent as a pro, where I was not only a figurehead on the court, but I was that coach within the locker room too. I think being um, team captain and taking full responsibility of that role put me in a leadership position where I had to continue the voice of our head coach. So I was going to be that player that was going to buy in completely to whatever the coach wanted. If, the coach wanted me to scale a mountain, I was going to do it. If the coach wanted me to um, run through a wall, I was going to do it. So I supported the vision completely and wholeheartedly. Doing that to that capacity during those 10 years within the WNBA, internationally with USA Basketball or not, um, it really shaped my focus as to what I should look for in a staff mm-hmm. and how they should diligently work for uh, for me or alongside me. And then what I would expect from my players uh, because I was once in their shoes and I know the, uh, the mindset and the motivation behind following the coach to the team and how that can bring success.
1: One thing that's always impressed me about ODU's program, regardless of it, whether it's you at the helm, I've been covering ODU since Nikki McRae was the head coach, the the commitment to defense. But now that you've taken over the program, it seems like that's been dialed up an extra notch. Can you kind of explain where that commitment to the defensive side of the game comes from?
0: Yes, that commitment to the defensive side of the game comes from uh, me being bred in an environment where um i understood if you want to be able to call yourself a champion or you want to be among the best you have got to understand how important it is to defend and make life as difficult as possible for your opponents anyone can go out here on any given night and score the basketball anyone that's not a shooter can shoot it and have a 50% chance of making it but how can you how can you turn the odds in your favor Uh, to be able to have more of an opportunity to win a game. And you do that by how you can impact the game through the defensive end. So when you have the likes of, uh, Janet Reddick, my high school coach, she was feisty. She had us playing zone defenses. We were we were doing all types of presses uh, in high school. Then when I get to college, Carol Ross can continue that. And uh, then I came along this guy called Michael Cooper, Cooper Loop, uh, legend within the Lakers program in the NBA. He was the defensive specialist for the Lakers for many many years, and he was big on the defensive end. So he really sharpened my IQ in terms of how to manipulate the game on that side of the ball, uh, play um, um, whoever the number one scorer is for our opposing team. How do you limit their touches even if you can't stop them from getting it? How can you shape up the floor to... Uh, create walls, clog holes and driving lanes and take away passing lanes to kind of dictate what it is that they do. So it, it would be those individuals that and those experiences I've had that have shaped me to have the defensive mindset that I do.
1: Looking at the team this season, uh, you're coming off a a tough game against James Madison, but still hanging around there in the top three of the standings. Pick to finish second in the preseason poll, but I I feel like the focus so much this year has been on Troy and JMU that ODU, you all have quietly flown under the radar almost where you've had a really good season. I'm curious, is that a spot where I don't want to say you're sneaking up on anybody but is that a spot where you'd rather be sort of the the hunter as opposed to the hunted
0: yeah that's definitely the mindset that we had I knew that uh, I knew things about my team that obviously other coaches didn't when they did the preseason voting mm-hmm. and um it was nice that they picked us as high as they did but I knew there was a maturation process we needed to go through in order to ultimately get to where we were deserving of that. Uh, pick within the standings. So we worked quietly behind the scenes. Uh, we were teaching from day one that the players stepped foot on campus and the maturation process and them really understanding their game, how to implement it into what we're asking, and us building that team chemistry and that culture on and off the floor. It was a lot of tedious, long hours involved in it. And now everyone is seeing the culmination of that work. Mm-hmm. and. For us to kind of fly under the radar, I thought it was rather fitting because we were under a lot of maintenance and I didn't want those things to be exposed, you know, uh, to the world while we're trying to figure some things out. But we were able to figure it out, get wins um, and move along in a, in a nice fashion. I think the most profound thing that could have happened to us was going 0-2 to open up our our uh, program within the Sunbelt Conference. It was um, a tough moment for us because we were missing two uh, marquee players for us. Amari Young, obviously, she's the centerpiece of everything that we do. And Talena, Washington, uh, she was one of our um, scoring guards, you know, shooting guards. So being without them during that stretch was tough, but it showed us a lot of other things we needed to clean up. And once we steadied the ship, it was smooth sailing from that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring in eight newcomers. And as you look through the roster, I mean, several of them, Division One experience, the JUCO experience. You know, I see three rivers on here for Autumn Dodd. I, I cover the junior college level as well. Very impressive program. You know, how would you say now that we're coming toward sort of the end of the regular season, how would you say that newcomer group has positively impacted your team?
0: They've impacted our team in a profound way. Uh, Usually coaches only go about seven or eight deep, but we try to go as deep as we need to. And that in itself is a process, too, to make sure that you keep those individuals motivated, healthy, confident, and ready. Mm -hmm. Ready so that when we get into the conference tournament, when we put them in the fire— because uh, there may be moments that present itself for us to do so, they will have had the the experiences that they needed to in conference play that will prepare them for when we get into the conference tournament.
1: Us media people, we can talk about the transfer portal all the live long day, but I'm always curious to hear coaches' perspectives on it and sort of tying into those newcomers. Like I said, so many with prior Division one experience. How would you say the transfer portal has changed college athletics?
0: it's changed it tremendously uh, because your team can change whether you want it to or not at the end of every season. And you could be introducing yourself to a completely new group every single year where we were accustomed to only having maybe um, two or three changes on your roster. Now you can have eight to to ten new people on your roster every given year. But with the the latest amendments that they've made, yeah, it kind of changes things to the point where you really have to do your homework on a player, especially if they've transferred before. Is it worth you signing this player? And if it happens to not work out, are they worth eating a scholarship over if they just decide to Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stick around. I don't want to leave. <laughs> so right. I'm just going to chill over here and just get my education and go about my business. And then they can stay until they graduate. That is the thing that's a kicker. So you it, it's changed it in a sense to where you really have to do your homework, dig deep, and really understand, is this player or person worth the time and the scholarship um, for your program? If they are, go for it. If there, if there's a question mark about it, leave it alone. Um, the transfer portal is something that we tap into, uh, but but um, I think we probably go more so the JUCO route uh, because you, when you look at the transfer portal, it's it's a hit or miss type thing. Right. Someone's coming from somewhere for some reason. The reasons behind them leaving is what you really need to uncover. Were they the problem? Or was the problem something else? Or if there weren't problems, um, does their game fit? Are they physically fit? You know, all of these things can factor into whether or not you're going to be successful and you can hit the ground running or or it's going to be an uphill journey for you and your program.
1: You mentioned Amari Young a minute ago coming off the – what was described as a Herculean effort, according to uh, your all sports information staff on the recap story. Uh, 23 points, 13 rebounds, and you said it yourself, she's sort of the centerpiece for your team. Just what does she mean to your program?
0: Amari is everything to our program, and I think what goes unnoticed about her is she is a sweetheart of a person, but she is an animal on the court. Well, and I I say that because she's so unselfish. She's such a team player. She puts everyone before herself, uh, but she still just has this game that is hard to go unnoticed. She just shines bright, even in some of the darkest moments. If she's not scoring big numbers, She just might be rebounding big numbers. If she's not doing either of the two, then she's the one that's diving on the floor, uh, fighting for 50-50 balls or making multiple efforts on the defensive end to cause plays, which which lend her the opportunity to have the hockey assist on a steal because she got the deflection that led to the steal by her teammate. Or she's the one that can facilitate offensively for us by drawing several defenders and, um, it's the swing, swing pass out of her kickout of the double or triple team that allows us to be successful. So Amari is one of those generational players that don't come around every day. When you see the high level of explosivity and athleticism that encompasses her game. Um, she is, she is she She is a player that I'm hoping will have a look at the pros because that level of skill set that she has from the athletic standpoint is something that I could see a coach really tapping into and um and it becoming a fruitful thing for them to utilize day in and day out. Mm-hmm.
1: You touched on it earlier in our conversation about first year in the Sunbelt Conference, one of the four newcomers jumping over from Conference USA along with Marshall and and Southern Miss. You're a native of Georgia. There are two Georgia schools in the conference. So I'm curious, having the opportunity to get to to go back to your home state, is that something that's exciting about this this new conference being a part of?
0: Yes. I I definitely was tickled pink about the fact that I would be able to go back home to Georgia and my family – wouldn't just get to see me play, but they'll actually get to see me coach now. Talking about the game coming full circle. All those many years and those many miles of traveling up and down the roads to go and see me play, now they're coming to see me work on the sidelines in a different way, but still impacting the game. It's something that my mother and my grandmother are just so proud of, to see me in this light. Um, it's always good to go back home, Uh, Because it's an opportunity for your entire family uh, to come out and support you. And it's a good opportunity to also uh, fellowship with one another, too. And um, I have a coach, Shimon Williams. He's on my staff. So he's from South Carolina. So when we went to play um, South Carolina Upstate this year, his entire family came out and they cooked for the team. So these are fun things that can happen when you are going back to your home state. Uh, we can make these things occur for the players.
1: Sort of in that same vein, because, you know, I had Keith Gill on the podcast earlier this year, and, and he mm-hmm. had talked about when assembling the New Look Conference, they wanted to go with like-minded fan bases, you know, that were passionate. You know, you're, you're all coming off a game where you had almost 4,000 people in attendance. You've had games this year with as many as 6,000 people inside the arena. What is that like, being a part of such a passionate Monarch fan base and, and leading this program?
0: You know, we we have some of the greatest fans. We have the greatest fans because they come out and they are steady about their support of their Lady Monarchs. And we love the fact that they appreciate the style of play that we have on display night in and night out. And we appreciate the fact that they are willing to support us, not just with putting butts in the seat, uh, not with just their money, not with just their time, but with the but with the effort attached to displaying their passion for us. Uh, that's what I love. Uh, you know, they, it, on the nights when there's fifteen hundred people in there, it can sound like it's three thousand people in there because they love us, and we have a faithful few that will travel because of the close proximity of some of the teams that we're playing, that helps too. So this merger of the, uh, of, and the building of this conference, yes, it, it's there to improve the student-athlete experience so that they don't have to miss as much class and possibly can have a, uh, a true day off. That's good. But then when you look at it from the fan base standpoint, it's something that will allow them to follow their team. And, and um, we've been reaping the benefits of that through our Monarch Nation.
1: Well, Coach, I appreciate your time. Two games left in the season. You've closed out your home slate. You hit the road to Marshall, Coastal Carolina. Best of luck. And thanks for joining the podcast. We'll see you in Pensacola. A quick check on Charlie Cream's women's bracketology for the upcoming NCAA tournament shows that Cream likes Troy. To get the AQ bid out of the Sun Belt, they would head to Austin, be grouped with Florida State, Marquette, and Texas. The Trojans would get a 14 seed if that were to happen. I'm interested to see, though, after James Madison's win last night, what he thinks of the Dukes. Dukes have the conference player of the week in Kiki Jefferson. As mentioned, they have a conference best win streak. They just locked up the regular season title, and they will take the number one seed into Pensacola. Before we go, let's take a look at the Her Hoop stats. Stat of the pod, it goes to the Texas State Bobcats, who have the 54th best assisted shot rate of any team in the country, assisting on 60.7% of their made field goals this year. A large portion of that can be Thanks to Kennedy Taylor, who is now the Sunbelt's all-time career leader in assists. Notched that mark and the victory over South Alabama this past Saturday. Finished that game with 11 assists. Has the 11th most in the country this season with 163. Averaging 6 assists per game, which is 15th best in the country. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Under the Sun podcast. I'm Jake Griffith. It's been a great regular season in Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. Excited to see what happens in the conference tournament. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Under the Sun.